Welcome to the hashtag Faring Pod. At Faring, people come first. In this episode, we are going to be discussing premature labor and birth, and in particular, focusing on the impact of this on mother and baby. My name is Zoya Mabuto Muguritwa, and I'm going to be hosting the conversation. And with me to engage on this topic is Dr. David Ngotho. Uh, Dr. David Ngotho is in private practice as an obstetrician and gynecologist. And certainly, you know, having had a little bit of a conversation with him ahead of this, uh, you know, recording, uh, I did get the sense that we are in very good hands. A warm welcome to you, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Wonderful. And maybe, Doctor, to kickstart the conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your, what your occupation entails. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist based in Durban. I, I'm in private practice, trained in the University of uh, KwaZulu-Natal, uh, called now, uh, Nelson Mandela School of Medicine. I've been an obstetrician gynecologist in private. Obstetric deals with babies and gyne deals with women problems. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. And uh, I think uh, it was so appropriate I was called for this interview because, I mean, for this part, because I was actually myself born preterm. I was born at 1.3 kilos. And uh, yeah, and then I don't know how I ended up being over 100 kilos. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think we're going to get into all of that, doctor. And maybe to kickstart the conversation, let's actually just break it down a little bit for those who are listening. What is preterm labor? Now, that's a very important question. Uh, number one, people confuse preterm labor with low birth weight. Now, the two issues here, low birth weight is a baby that is born below 22.5 kilos, regardless of the gestation. That means regardless of how long the pregnancy has been going. Now, preterm delivery specifically states a baby that is born before 37 completed weeks. Mm. That means you are born 14 days before your due date. So that becomes a preterm labor. Now, there's classification of different type of preterm labor, which we're going to come into, but that's exactly. So we should not confuse low birth weight with preterm birth, because if a baby is at 40 weeks, that is full term, but it is less than 2.5 kilogram, is a low birth weight baby. That baby is completely different from a preterm baby. And I suppose the biggest differences, and I know we're not talking about low birth weight, but as a mother myself, the biggest differences would talk to, you know, the development of the baby. Exactly. So even though the baby's got a low birth weight, they would have fully developed. Indeed, actually, if, if a baby is above the weight, like let's say you're 34 weeks, but let's say because of some certain problem, the baby is more than three kilograms, which is not supposed to be, that baby is at risk than a baby that is 40 weeks and is 2.3 kilograms because the maturity of the baby depends on how long it has stayed inside that uterus. And I think that distinction is important, you know, for the people who are listening, um, that confusion between preterm labor and the low birth weight. Doctor, let's talk a little bit about, you know, if, if I'm, I'm, I'm an expecting mother uh, and I know that I'm supposed to, you know, the, the full term is 40 weeks. You've 40 mentioned weeks, this yes. already. Yes. What are some of the warning signs of preterm labor? You see, it's, 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 the preterm labor is one of uh, nightmares for, first of all, I like to deal with not the mother, deal with the family. Mm. because the mother comes with a, a father of the baby and children that are probably in that family. So when a preterm baby is born, it interferes with the, the environment, the universe around the whole family. Mm. So when, when, when 
how do you tell that the worst part of it is if you never had preterm labor before it's very difficult to tell because the pains and aches that one gets during pregnancy are confused with preterm labor and for the first time a patient who has never been on preterm labor the best the first thing probably they will see is the water bag comes up i mean mm. she raptures water mm. now when that happens it's already too late you can't do anything but it's important to look if, if a person if a, if a lady had had preterm labor before it's very easy to pick up because your doctor will have talked to you about it, prevention, what you need to do even before you fall pregnant so that you can actually be, be able to be followed up. But when you want to start having contractions, that means you're getting pains on and off and then they're becoming more stronger as you go on. Women mm. are very good in detecting that. Then you suspect probably you're having preterm labor. Okay, so so I mean, I I remember uh, during my own pregnancies they would talk about something called Braxton Hicks. Yes, is is this the same? No, are those the same contractions that you're referring to here? Braxton Hicks are completely slightly different, although one can confuse them. Okay, now you should not be getting Braxton Hicks contraction before 34, 35 weeks of gestation, because Braxton Hicks are the ones that come become labor pain later on. Uh-huh. So you, you, your womb is preparing how it's going to contract during labor. So if you're getting excessive Braxton Hicks before 37 weeks, there's a problem somewhere there. If you start getting strong Braxton Hicks at 27, 28 weeks, you're not getting Braxton Hicks, you're in preterm labor. So yeah. that is what one should actually differentiate. What's a Braxton Hicks? Braxton mm. Hicks is a contraction that comes usually within, you get two in an hour. Mm. It does not last more than 20 seconds and it's not unduly uncomfortable. Now, you can get a pain in the tummy or slight pain at the back. But if you're getting pain at the front and not getting at the back that is coming after every 10 minutes, okay. then you're in preterm labor. And I think, again, that distinction becomes important Very because, important. I, you know, I immediately went to the Braxton Hicks and I thought I've been told that I should expect these. And I think for me, if you're getting contractions and they're happening, you know, more frequently every 10 minutes and the pain, as you say, is in the front, then you should have some concern. Exactly. In okay. front and the back, you have some concern. Wonderful. So, so how long would, would, would preterm labor last typically? The preterm labor, the worst part of preterm labor is that it can be very quick or it can be very slow. It depends what is stimulating the preterm labor. So if the preterm labor is because of things we're going to mention later on, like let's say your mouth of the womb is weak, what we call the cervix, what we call an incontinent cervix. Now, what happens in that situation, the contraction might just start and within two, three minutes, I mean, within two, three hours, the baby is out. But if it is due to, like, let's say, babies, there's some medical problem associated with the mother, that comes slowly, and then all of a sudden you're finding yourself in labor. On the other hand, if it's preterm labor is because of multiple pregnancies, that also can be very quick. So it's difficult to tell exactly. It depends on what is causing the preterm labor. And maybe because we're talking about those risk factors, maybe let's let's just have a look at those. So what are some of the risk factors associated with preterm labor? What are the things we need to sort of almost be mindful or aware of? Uh, you know, I'm expecting, uh, you speak about multiple births. In other words, I've got more than one baby or I'm expecting more than one baby. What are some of those risk factors, doctor? Let's go back a bit mm. and ask, when should a woman or a lady who is expecting to fall pregnant, or a lady who is actually pregnant, when she should see her gynecologist or a healthcare professional? Mm. Indeed, I'm a believer that when you're planning a pregnancy, you actually should see your doctor before even you plan to fall pregnancy. Your pregnancy actually starts before conception. Now, when you go to see a gynecologist or your doctor, they will tell you, okay, like you'll pick up 
Um, by the way, guess, uh, I'm 29 years old. Uh, three years ago, I had a pap smear. And the doctor said there were abnormal cells. And they took me to theater and did a procedure on the mouth of the womb. That's a red sign already. Mm. Because that actually predisposes you to having an incompetent cervix. The cervix might open earlier. And then you see, so the lady will also tell you, you see, my mother actually never gave birth to a baby above 34 weeks. Mm. Remember, you follow your mother in almost almost everything. Sure. So you follow, like if your mother had blood pressure, you're going to get blood pressure most likely. If she had sugar diabetes, you have a risk of getting sugar diabetes. So that screening is very important. Then after you fall pregnant, the first trimester actually predicts what is going to happen later on. Mm. Like let's say you come in and say, you know what, I had a, I had a, I lost a pregnancy at about 13 weeks before. I lost a pregnancy at about 20 weeks before. So a patient who has lost a pregnancy in the late, what we call late miscarriages, has a risk of having preterm labor. Sure. So that's a lady you're going to look at more closely and see what are you going to do. You prevent her from getting that preterm labor. And then after that, then when the lady is pregnant, then you, you follow her closely. As a doctor, you, you, you should listen carefully to her because she might tell you, you know what, I feel a lot of pressure down every time. Mm. I, I, I feel uncomfortable most of the time this baby is sitting low so those are the things you look at and then obviously you examine and find what we call the what we call the cervical score that is how long the cervix is mm. compared to how open your cervix should not open before labor so if the cervix is opening at 29 30 weeks you're already in preterm labor although you might not be feeling the pain itself and I suppose what I'm taking from that is if you're able to, having done that screening, um, having gotten a sense of your own medical history and disclosed that to your doctor, you're essentially are preparing yourself for the possibilities ahead and you could do something. Indeed, it's so essential because if you are prone to having preterm labor, then your doctor will guide you like what we call giving some progesterone support to yourself. Or we actually encourage you to tell you, no, what, Zoe? Because you are at a risk of having preterm labor, you should avoid having intercourse, mm. which people actually believe that intercourse is good in pregnancy, which is perfectly fine. But if you are at a risk of having preterm labor, we encourage you not to have intercourse because remember, semen contains the highest quantity of prostaglandin in a, fem in, in, a, in a human body. And prostaglandins are the ones that make your uterus start contracting and you go into labor. Like I'll give you an example. Hmm. We encourage women to have intercourse, especially towards the end of the pregnancy, because you're actually introducing prostaglandins that open the mouth of your womb so that you can go into natural labor when you're about to go into labor. But we avoid that if you have a risk of having a preterm delivery. So, so we're not talking induction here, doctor, but I, what I'm hearing you say, and I thought this was a myth, what I'm hearing you say is that sex can certainly contribute to induction. In fact, in black culture, it's, it's actually, we, <laughs> we talk about having intercourse during pregnancy. Mm. We are told that it actually makes the baby grow. It's not about growth of the baby. Okay. It's actually so intelligent that our forefathers knew that if you have intercourse, it introduces prostaglandins, and the prostaglandins actually help you to go into labor. Okay, so but that's a topic very, for another that's a day. topic for another day. Actually, topic for another I would day. want to do one like that one of the days. And we'll certainly get to it one of these days. So I still want to get to, to, to discussing some of the risk factors, but I think for me, I want to appreciate uh, what you're saying about, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, conceiving, about having a baby, that one should be going to their healthcare professional, go to your gynecologist and say, this is what we're thinking to do, um, so that we can, you know, detect or assess if you're at risk at all. And I think that's important. I've never done this. Actually, I, I usually say your antenatal clinic or antenatal care starts before conception. Okay. It should not start when you conceive. Because most people say, okay, I go to see my doctor 14, when I'm about in 14 weeks or 15 weeks. You, you're already too late. Sure. You, you're extremely too late. So you should see a doctor before. And immediately you miss a period, then you see. 
so that the doctor can actually access your risk factors again and classify you as low risk, high risk, and that actually also helps to plan your antenatal care. Thank you so much, Doctor, for that. And I think I still want to go back to those risk factors. So we've spoken to the fact that, you know, you could, for the most part, go and get your screening ahead of time. You want to conceive, you want to have a baby. It's important to visit uh, your healthcare professional. But now I'm already pregnant um, and and there are certain risks that I can imagine contribute to the potential for uh, preterm labor. And so the question I have for you is, what are those other associated risks? You know, are there are illnesses? Um, you know, could, could, could the fact that I am a, a teen pregnancy? Could a teen pregnancy be a potential risk as well? I'm curious about some of those factors as well. Let's first of all, Zoe, talk, go back slightly one step behind and say, what problem do we have? How big is the problem? Mm. About 15 million babies worldwide are born preterm. 15 million. Out of those 15 million, about 1 million will die because of being born preterm. And uh, Essentially, in Africa, where in, in those 15 million, about 60% of them occur in developing countries. Mm. In actually, in an environment whereby you cannot actually look after preterm babies. Therefore, actually, the mortality becomes extremely high. Mm. Now, between 5 and 12% of preterm babies in that population you find, most of them are found in, 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 uh, in developing countries. So it's a huge problem that we have. Mm. So preventing a preterm birth becomes so essential. So that you don't actually deplete. It, it said looking after one preterm baby is equivalent to looking after 12 term babies. Sure. That is how bad it is. Mm. So if you can imagine how much. I've known a baby that we looked after was born at about 600 gram. By the time they went home, they spent over half a million. Sure. So you can imagine what that means on that baby. The risk factors are very wide. Now, preterm, mm. uh, teenage pregnancy is one of the biggest risks. But one says, what is preterm? Very controversial. When is the best time to have children? Actually, it's from the age of 18. You say from the age of 18. Before that, very, 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 very young children actually have a very high risk. But your multiple pregnancies, if you go, like now infertility has become a big issue. So you find that you have twin pregnancies. Mm. Your twin pregnancies, that's, that's a high risk. Mm. Chronic diseases, sugar diabetes, high blood pressure, elderly women. And the two spectrum, the very young and the very elder, they have a very high risk of preterm deliveries. Of important, which we don't actually concentrate a lot on, is cervical vaginal infections. The commonest cause of preterm deliveries or preterm labors is cervical vaginal infection. And therefore, it becomes essential that when you go for your test before you actually embark on foreign pregnancy, pregnant, your doctor should actually do directly look for those, specifically looking for what we call group B streptococcus. And then... Let me, let me step in there quickly because it's moving a little bit fast, fast for me. So... You said something, something vaginal infection. Yes. And maybe Cervical, let's vaginal here. infection. Cervical? Vaginal infection. Vaginal infection. Yes. What are we talking about We're there? talking about having discharges and if a discharge smells, mm. then that's not a good discharge. Okay. There are two issues. There's a normal discharge which does not smell and does not itch. A discharge that smells and or itches, then that becomes a medical problem. A discharge that itches is easy to treat because we know what causes it. But a smelly discharge could come from chlamydia, which is very difficult to treat. Mm. Could be group G, B, streptococcus, which causes problems, or could be infections that actually will cause inflammation of the covering of the baby. Ah. And that actually stimulates preterm labor. But remember, when the membranes start being inflamed, you start producing prostaglandins. And when you produce prostaglandins, you are starting uterine contraction. So you need to be treated that before you go into labor. Or if you find that there's a problem there. 
And so you talk about treatment. If if somebody is releasing that, and you use that fancy term, pro prostaglandins. <laughs> that yes. that prostaglandins. Yes. What what type of tests would would a doctor typically perform to to confirm? Obviously, when a patient presents with what you think is preterm labor, you first of all have to establish is it preterm labor. Mm. Now, preterm labor is defined as uterine contractions that occur regularly that lead to one shortening of the mouth of the womb and opening it. So that has to be qualified. Mm. So not everybody who comes with pains in the tummy has a preterm labor. It has to be accompanied within two hours you examine and you find that the contractions are happening every 10 minutes. They are lasting this long. They're associated with changes in the cervix. Then that mm. is preterm labor. Mm. When you make that diagnosis, then you decide what is causing the preterm labor. Sure. Now, because if you have a preterm labor because the baby is abnormal, you're not going to stop that preterm labor. You let that come out because naturally an abnormal baby has to come out. You don't want to prevent it from coming out. Mm. But if you establish, okay, the baby is normal, we only about 29 weeks, we're in preterm labor, what do we need to do? The biggest problem is that when that baby is born, you're going to have a lot of things that we're going to talk about later on. So you prevent that preterm labor by using different methods of which you make the patient comfortable. Importantly, which we forget, mm. we, con we go straight to management by using chemicals. No, talk to the family. Tell them how things are. Let them know the truth of what you're going to face. Let them, don't tell them, okay, we're going to stop it. If we don't stop it, your baby is going to come out. Tell them what to expect as a family. Mm. And that's the first part. Now, the will of a patient mind actually is very strong. Then after that, you can actually introduce your treatments that you're going to stop that preterm labor from happening. Now, the important thing one must remember why are we stopping the labor? One, you don't want that baby to be born early because of the consequences that will happen. But the second thing, it gives you time so that you can give what we call steroids. Steroids mature the baby's lungs so that uh -huh. if the baby comes, then it will be able to survive the environment. And the second most important thing which we forget to talk about is that when you pre prevent that preterm labor from happening, you'll be able to move that patient from a clinic to a tertiary center or a center that can cater for a small baby. So that's also very, very essential, apart from preventing the labor happening. And then there is that thing we call wishful thinking, because if you are ill in preterm labor, in most of the cases, you will go into labor within 72 hours. Mm. But there are patients who actually stop labor, depending on what you use for the for controlling that. And you can actually find a patient, 29 weeks, she came in preterm labor, you are 34 weeks. That wishful thinking has arrived for you. We've spoken to, to, to quite a number of different, um, you know, areas I want to cover. We've spoken to, you know, the approaches that you use. And I love what you say about how for you, the first approach is to engage, you know, with all of the sort of people who are involved, the family members, the mother herself, yes, herself. Um, you know, giving them the information, giving them, you know, a, a level of comfort or getting the them to that place where they have the assurance mm. that this is what we're dealing with, mm. but we have it under control. I also like what you, what you say about the importance of, you know, determining what the cause of the preterm labor is so that we can then decide what the next sort of best step is. And then finally, you talk about how, for the most part, you know, preterm labor does not always mean that a person is necessarily going to then have the baby then. It doesn't. And so, and so you've spoken to a number of different things, and I almost want to bring us back again. So, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the emotional impact of this. And this is connecting to the point you've made about how your approach, first and foremost, is to engage with the family members, the yes, mother, the, you know, the father, the, the father. father's there, the siblings, yes. whoever's there. Yes. And we have the conversation to get them to that place of assurance and comfort. My curiosity is around, you know, the emotional impact on, on this. 
here's a woman who's pregnant. Um, it's been an exciting time. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're faced with a preterm labor situation. What are some of the, the emotions that, that a woman typically undergoes as a result of this? And we can extend it to the family as well. I think it's an important conversation. Zoe, you, you, you don't know how important that is. It's so important. And most of the time when a patient comes with preterm labor, we concentrate on the preterm labor and forget the person who is having the preterm labor. Mm. We forget about the family that is involved in the preterm labor. Now, it, pregnancy is a special moment for everybody. Mm. It's a special moment for the mother especially. And I always say the mother needs to be talked a lot because if she has that preterm labor, she's the one going to deal with it, most of it. Then the effect of what she projects, mm. projects to the partner and the family. So it's important to let, there are children who know mommy's pregnant, mommy's gone into labor, and they're excited our baby is coming. They do not know that this baby is 29 weeks, sure. or 27 weeks, mm. or 26 weeks, it might mm. not come. And uh, so giving her the correct information, we're going to find out why you've gone into preterm labor. If you've gone into preterm labor because of infection, then we're going to treat the infection. We're going to stop the labor. Because if you stop the labor without treating the infection, then it's not going to help. Psychological assessment, psychological mm. assistance, getting mm. a social worker to talk to the patient. Because as doctors, we don't have enough time to talk. And my best social workers actually is not a trained social worker. It's a nurse in the ward. Mm. You look for an old nurse, you look for a nurse. Sister, is there anybody amongst you who has been through preterm labor? Is there anybody who has had a baby that went into that? I actually caught a patient of mine who had gone through preterm labor. One, I got three of them. Mm. One who went through a preterm labor, stayed in the hospital for three months with her baby and went home with the baby. One who stayed with the baby for two, three months and lost the baby. Sure. One who actually went in and did and went into labor, gave birth and everything. So those people are so important. They are surely you give a phone call. Please, Mrs. So-and-so, can you talk to such and such? And that actually helps a lot. It gives the comfort you to know which way they'll end up into. Now, the whole family need to be counseled, need to be supported, need mm. to be helped. The importance of knowing, okay, you might have a preterm baby. You're going to lose your work for the next two months. You're going not to be at home for the next two months. The children are asking, why is mommy so long in the hospital? As I was brother or a sister going to be all right and then that comes that moment whereby you have a very preterm baby that's not going to come home now mm. dealing with that especially the parents might understand but the children at home might not understand and then very important the disclosure when if you have a preterm delivery and did not add up well disclosing to your workmates sure. i was pregnant everybody knew so mm. that is so much to be dealt with and i think that's where we miss it in the medical profession most of the times mm. thank you so much doctor for that and now i want to sort of Go back to another point you spoke about where you said, you know, for the most part, not all preterm, preterm labor necessarily ends up with somebody then having given birth to the baby. And so my question is, can preterm labor be stopped? Exactly. Is it possible for me to experience the symptoms of preterm labor and then to not go into labor? That is true. First of all, the important part of making a diagnosis is that this is correct preterm labor. Now, if it is correct preterm labor, then... It is not, it's, it's, the preterm labor is not diagnosed correctly, then probably that patient is going to be treated, going to go home. It will no longer preterm labor. But established preterm labor is very difficult to stop. Mm. Now, the aim of stopping an established preterm labor is for two things. Transport the patient from where she is to the tertiary center where the baby can be helped. 
and two, to allow you to give steroids. Now, steroids are chemicals or drugs that we give that help the baby's lung to mature so that even if that baby comes out, you're going to be able to... Mm. Now, the specific things that one can use depends on what is available for you. It depends with where you are, developed countries or undeveloped countries. Now, what causes labor is a hormone that is, is, is a chemical that is produced by the mother that make the uterus to start contracting. We talked about prostaglandin. Mm. We talked about oxytocin. Those are the two essential things that make the uterus contract. So if you can stop the prostaglandin being produced, then you are in good shape. If you stop the oxytocin from being produced, then you are in a perfect position. Why? Because whatever is used prevents production of oxytocin. Therefore, you're not going to have contraction. And those are the patients who are likely to succeed better than the others. Mm. I mean, as you said, the word oxytocin, I remember that I'd heard it a while back and they talk about how when you release oxytocin, they say it's the feel-good hormone. They also call it the feel-good hormone. This is the one that's responsible for the bonding, I think, that happens between yourself and that baby. In fact, it's the same one that makes you produce milk. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So you produce milk. So, so, doctor, let's talk a little bit about some of the complications. You know, you, you, you've been doing this for yeah. over 20 years. Um, I imagine that it is, it is complex and there's, there's complications around preterm deliveries. Take me through some of the experiences that you've had and, and what are those complications? I have one baby that actually is 17 years old. I visit him every year. He was born at 650 gram. He actually the best performer in his school today. That's the biggest success story I ever had. Mm. Now, preterm babies probably get one or two in a month. Um, the the complication that you expect, apart from the social aspect we've talked about, is the baby itself. Mm. From any system, the, 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 the last part of your pregnancy, from 37 weeks going to 40 weeks, is when most of your organs mature. Mm. Indeed, your brain does not mature until very late in the pregnancy. The lungs are the worst. They don't mature. At 37 weeks, 38 weeks, your lungs can still be not matured. And that's why as gynecologists, we made a routine that you cannot do a Caesar before 39 weeks. Caesars should be done at 39 weeks so that you get the potential growth on the baby. So you can actually talk of any organ from the eyes, blindness, from the lungs because they get oxygen, poor lung development, development of chronic diseases, bronchiectasis, that means lung problems, the skin problems, you know, the brain development, the performance later on of that child in in adult. It actually affects from the spectrum of the growth of that child's school performance, even to performance later on in life. So there's a big spectrum, affects the lungs, it affects your liver, it affects your intestines. When you are small, those intestines actually, when those babies are small, they go under what we call uh, necrotizing endocolitis. They can actually they, they get rotten and everything because of the lack of blood flow, oxygen and everything because they're immature. So there's a big spectrum. So stopping preterm delivery is actually one of the most important things one can do for, 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 the huma- for humanity. And doctor, maybe just to build on what you've just shared with us, you know, are there any chronic morbidities that are associated with preterm births? Very, very important question. Extremely important because every mother or every lady want to actually be a mother. Most ladies want to be mothers. The more older you get, and we can see, we have seen this because the ladies are now, professions are becoming very important, career and everything. And we're seeing ladies delaying falling pregnant until a bit late. At that time, you have sugar diabetes, you have mm-hmm. high blood pressure. Now, we always say mother takes precedence to the baby. So if you have a lady who is uncontrolled blood pressure, I'll give you an example. One of my 
worst scenario is a lady who had lost four pregnancies before. Hmm. I helped her in the last pregnancy. We managed to go to 29 weeks. Baby stays in the nursery for about three months. She was from far away. So she couldn't actually stay with the baby. She used to actually do video calls for the baby. And about two months ago, she came. She was pregnant again, 26 weeks. Came in, had high blood pressure, very severe high blood pressure. I came to a situation whereby her kidney stopped working. Her liver is not working. And she's going to have a very difficult situation. What did we decide? We decided the mother takes precedence. We delivered the 700 gram baby. And essentially, that baby could not survive. Now, that is the trauma that you go through. We're talking about two months ago. So those are things with blood pressure, chronic diabetes, other connective tissue disorders. People talk about rheumatoid. There are people getting rheumatoid. There's something called SLE. All those things interfere with. So you have to control your blood pressure. Your sugar diabetes has to be controlled very nicely Mm. before you can end back on. And one probably, if unless you cannot fall pregnant naturally, multiple pregnancies and such is something that we can, but we can't avoid it because nowadays with the in vitro fertilization, those are things that are happening. And I suppose this connects to what you said earlier about the importance of screening. Very important. Uh, so, in, I mean, in particular, if you're somebody who's listening and you've got some of those chronic conditions such as diabetes and high blood pressure, even more so, yes, uh, because we know that this has an impact or could potentially lead to a situation where you might deliver, uh, you know, before. Because if you get severe sugar diabetes, we're going to deliver you even your baby, even if your baby is not going to survive, because the mother takes precedence to the baby. Sure. <laughs> That's a difficult one, eh? It's a difficult one, but that is exactly what we do. A mother can ha- always have another baby when she- her sugar is well controlled, but a baby cannot have another mother. And, and doctor, I'm just listening to your example about this lady who you say comes in, uh, you know, she's had, she's had miscarriages before she comes in, trying again to have a baby. You know, what, <laughs> what are the steps after a preterm birth? I, I think it's, it's a very important question. And do we need to deal with her? or we need to deal with the husband or the mother-in-law or her mother herself. Because there's this thing whereby, okay, you're married, you need to produce children. And the pressure, especially in the black community, whereby you have to produce children, you are married, Mm. then it becomes, it's important to educate the family and tell them, look, this is a situation. She's in a dire problem. We cannot go through this again. Because every time it becomes emotion among emotions and then depression will set in. And therefore you have, I think it's a situation whereby I I had to end up telling her, you got one baby. God has been good to you. You Mm. got one baby. I'm not going to allow you to go through this again at the age of 29. So you have to tie the tubes. You've got to prevent a permanent method of contraception so that you don't go through that. Because it's not only about losing the baby. It's the emotions and the psychologists that she's going to go through, psychological effect that that lady is going to go through. So that's, that's what I personally think. And then, Doctor, a little bit earlier in the conversation, you spoke to how, you know, even, even with uh, the preterm labor, the, the situations can vary. You said there was somebody who, you know, who, who gave birth preterm, stayed in the hospital with the baby for three months, um, and the baby survived. There was somebody else who stayed for three months, the baby didn't survive. I'm starting to think about some of the socioeconomic aspects of this, and particularly in situations where this is somebody who does not afford, um, you know, health care. What are the financial implications of some of what we've talked about already? Zoe, you must remember I'm talking from a private plant, okay. private practice point of view. I'm talking about patients with medical aid. I'm mm. talking about people who can afford. Now, the situation in public healthcare is completely different. Now, I'll say something that will make you feel so uncomfortable that in most 
public healthcare systems, mm. they cannot support a one kilogram baby and below. In other words, we're talking about 700 gram in private sector, mm. and 900 gram in government sector, which is very preterm. We actually don't monitor them. The reason is because there's no resources that will actually be applicable to help that baby to be able to, to be managed. You have so many other babies which are bigger who are born with problems because their mothers had problems and we need to cater for those big babies mm. because of, so the financial implication is huge to an extent that when I look at it, to stop that preterm labor from happening, even in government sector, even in public sector, to get modalities that will actually stop the preterm labor from happening will save a lot of money for everybody. You, you're talking like there's a, there's one post I saw in one of the private hospitals. I'm not going to mention which one that they said, if you are, if we charge you this amount of money for delivery, we do not give you epidural if you want this. But if your baby has a problem, you need to have a hundred thousand rand as a deposit to put that baby in a neonatal unit. So that's what he's telling you. Usually in average, a baby in the neonatal unit spends about 5,000 rand a day. Mm. Now, if you're staying for three months, you can calculate 120 days. So you, you can imagine what we're talking about. And we don't even want to go into the conversation about the challenges we sometimes have with the medical aid. Exactly. And I speak from experience. Exactly. So it's a quite mean, an expensive business. It to have a preterm baby being born, yes. And I think, again, for me, the emphasis becomes that there are things we can do, um, you know, to, to, to one, determine if, if one is at risk um, of having preterm labor. And I think, for me, that's where the emphasis and the focus should be, to really do that screening, to encourage people to do the screening ahead of time. If you're wanting to have a baby, go and meet up with a relevant healthcare professional so that you can get a very clear sense of, you know, what your status is. Exactly. Um, and I think that's important. It's because so important. It, yes. it does seem like a very costly exercise. Doctor, if, if I mean, I, I'm thinking about, you know, we're listening to somebody who's an expecting mother. Uh, this person is sitting there saying, I might have, or I do have a chronic condition. Or somebody says, I started going to my gynecologist quite late um, in my pregnancy. What advice would you give to expecting mothers about preterm labor and birth? If she's pregnant already, there's nothing you can do. No, there's something you can do. <laughs> there is something you can do. But in most of the cases, you'll say, you know what, you give the whole information. She needs to know the risk factor that she's under. Um, I'll give you an example of a lady I had who, who had clots in the lungs, with the pulmonary embolism before in pregnancy. And here you're pregnant. She came, she was six weeks. And she told me, Doc, you delivered my other two babies. Here I am, I'm pregnant. And I said, my advice, you're on injections for, higher, for, for your pulmonary embolism. Your risk of getting another pulmonary embolism is very high. And when you have a pulmonary embolism, the chances that you're not going to survive. And we sat down, I promise you, for about 40 minutes with her and her husband. And in my mind, I was saying, the universe should talk to them. Please, doctor, terminate the pregnancy because of the high risk. Mm. She was diabetic. She had clots before. And my, aim, my, my decision was like, I want to give them information, but I don't want to direct them what I want. And the, after the conversation and we're talking and they're saying, yes, we are at risk and everything is said, doctor, we're going to take a risk. That's nothing you can do. You just to follow the risk the patient wants to take. But you must make sure that. So she stayed in the hospital for quite a long time. We managed to go to up, up to about 34 weeks. And then when you reach 34 weeks, I said, you know what? You are already in an area that you can survive. So I'm going to take you in, manage you, give you steroids, and we need to deliver because I need to take you. So that becomes a source of preterm delivery. You understand? Mm -hmm. But you're doing it for the sake of the mother. But 
essentially you want patient who have very high risk probably not even to consider falling pregnant like a patient with a heart disease you cannot take her to term because her heart is going to compromise and therefore it's an important thing if you have a chronic problem and maybe you've been lucky you have one baby stop being greedy that's more than enough survive for that one mm. rather than putting yourself under risk again so so what i'm hearing doctors you're saying uh, you know listen to your doctors uh, listen, your doctors yes. your doctors know what they're talking about if we know the risk that you're dealing with and if your objective yes that should be the way to go and what else what else could we offer to somebody who's sitting who's expecting just around you know preterm if i'm if if something starts to happen if i start to feel slight discomfort where do i go to do you i go, you go, go straight to your healthcare professional you okay. go to your health professional and then they will make a decision if you're in preterm labor or not they'll guide you on what to do and then we'll prevent that preterm labor from happening and 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 doctor i know we're nearing the end of the conversation but you know there there's so many interesting myths about about all of these different things and and i'm i'm, I'm just wanting you, you to to clear some myths for us okay uh, yes. You know, sometimes they say things like eating spicy foods, uh, you know, or eating prunes, uh, or even having castor oil. I read that, uh, you know, even having castor oil um, can induce labor. Um, are, there, are there foods that one must avoid, um, you know, so that they don't find themselves in a situation where they're delivering preterm? You see, Zoya, you and I need to sit down and, and <laughs> I want to do one talk on myths and pregnancy because there are so many myths. Like you learn today that usually having intercourse in pregnancy people say you're growing the baby but you're not growing the baby you actually you're not growing the baby you're actually preparing for labor mm-hmm. so if you are preterm labor you should not be growing the baby you understand <laughs> there, there's some other myths that happen now food is very important nutrition extremely important in pregnancy because mm. nutrition poor nutrition is one of the biggest cause actually of preterm delivery and therefore it's so important to be able to eat balanced diet mm. and balanced diet does not mean that you have to go hectic you have to have proteins you mm. have to have carbohydrates you have to have vitamins and you have to have minerals as far as you have that then you're good if you cannot afford that we supplement and that's why i always say using of supplements in the pregnancy should not be a standard thing if you get balanced diet you should not be supplementing now food i have three issues about food your food must be well cooked because if there is any infection in the food you're not going to get you've got to have a problem second thing you get balanced food now is there any food that are hot food there's nothing wrong with hot food you go to a place here about 2 kilo, 10 kilometers away it's called phoenix people there eat hot food and they say children are going to be crying then you sh- the children should be crying on the street none of them does that i don't think there's anything wrong with that <laughs> so hot food castor oil is special now the issue of castor oil you take castor oil even when you're not pregnant mm. when you're constipated mm. Now, if you take castor oil, it prevents constipation. In other words, it pulls water from your intestines, brings it to where your stools are, makes them soft so mm. they can come out. Now, it causes inflammation. It stimulates the, the, the colon to start contracting. Mm. And when it contracts, it pushes the number two out. It pushes stools out. That stimulation, when, the, when your colon is actually acting and active, your uterus lies next to it. Sure. And that actually stimulates the uterine contraction. So castor oil is essential. Um, prune sometimes causes you constipation mm. and therefore you talk about constipation. But it doesn't mean there's food that stimulates your labor. No, it doesn't. It's that is the effect of what you have done, like the castor oil thing that stimulates labor. And that's why sometimes when you are just about to give birth, we sometimes encourage you can have some little castor oil. There's nothing wrong with that mm. because it stimulates your rectum, it stimulates the uterine activity, therefore you're going into labor. 
And of course, I think what I take from that is the importance of a balanced diet. Extremely important. So, nutrition so in pregnancy. Diet, nutrition in pregnancy. Nutrition in pregnancy, critical. avoidance of stress and such things is very important. So as we wrap it up, doctor, um, you know, do you know of any support groups or organizations that parents of, of you know, children who have been born preterm could, could look to for support? And this is, I mean, this is coming off of just having listened to you talk about, I mean, the implications of, of having a preterm baby on the family. You speak about in-laws and all of a sudden it, you know, dawned on me that one, one is dealing with the community. Um, you know, you were pregnant, you left work, and now all of a sudden uh, you come back and sometimes there's no baby. Yes. Uh, or sometimes you're having to stay out of work for a very long time. So for me, I think I think the severity of it cannot be underscored. Let me, Where let do they go for support? Zoe, it's, I, I don't know a structure. The, the government system or the public system, there's what is called the health professional nurse, the, 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 the professional nurses who are outreach program. Mm. In fact, the government have started a course which most people don't know. They are called health promotion officers. Now, HPO, the health promotion officers are being trained to go pick up problems in the community mm. and provide support system. And therefore, they pick up Zoe sick, you got diabetes, please go to the hospital. There's a sub person with who have this condition. We're going to bring um uh, uh, uh what you call a social worker or, or or psychologist to come and talk to them. There are those systems in government. Now the problem is how accessible are they? I don't think so. And this is a space where people actually should go in. Now there's some this this um midwives who are actually doing what is called midwife deliveries. Now what I find interesting with them is actually have a one-in-one contact with their patients. And that nurses who are midwives actually follow up their patients. They have breastfeeding units mm. whereby they go and, and teach them breastfeeding, support system, social support system. And that is so important. But the structures, this is something that somebody actually must take over. It's something that is very essential that you establish a, a, a cadre that is going actually to look after these patients when they go home. Talk to the community, talk to the family, mm. give support, social support and such things. I, I don't know any structure that is there. Farms uh, sometimes does that. Mm. But how, how well can they be able to do with a magnitude of about 15 million babies in the world? Sure. And I'm not sure how, how, how I'm sitting or feeling uh, when you say you're not sure that there are formal structures in place. Not that I'm aware um, of. They might be existing. Those. I might be wrong. Mm. Maybe I don't know. But uh, apart from psychologists and social workers, I, I am not aware of organized structures that actually deal specifically with people with preterm babies who are going home and the effect that they are going through afterwards. And so, Doctor, as we come to a close, are there any sort of last words or parting shots you'd like to leave those who are listening to us with um, around this particular topic? Preterm labor is one of the biggest medical problems that we need to address. And as we talked about, from preconception to conception to prevention to looking after it. Maybe I was one of the lucky preterms that actually survived well at 1.3 kilos. I used to have convulsions when I was small. Mm. I used to be very sickly. Um, one day, this is a joke I usually tell to my children. One day, my mother was with me and I had a convulsion and she was a young mother and she thought baby died. Mm. And she actually threw me away and she ran away home. And when they came back, they actually met I was still breathing. That's my own story. So... Um, 
It is something that needs to be prevented. Mm. We need to be very serious about preterm labor. Mm. It is costing a lot, both in private and public sector. Mm. The emotional aspect, psychological effect of it, we cannot quantify it. But I think these are important things that one need to look at. We've got to prevent preterm labor as much as we can, especially making sure that we can transport those children in a center where they can be looked after. You don't want a child that cannot concentrate in school. Remember, when a child is in school, you're in the same grade with some, the same, uh, your age mate yet you are going back in class what effect does it have on that child mm. psychologically and she he or she finds i cannot cope like anybody else i am clumsier than anybody else mm. because you affect from activity to reasoning to you being able to cope in school so those are things that we should probably do and i think the time that we'll find a prevention that will work well for and a way that we can make sure that babies are born after 37 weeks, that will be the happiest day because you'll have a universe that actually will be able to succeed as we go to the fourth industrial revolution. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doctor. You heard it for yourself from uh, Dr. Ngotho. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it was it was informative. I think it was insightful as well. You're very Thank passionate you. about this topic and about the work that you do. Thank so you. I know that... Um, you know, this allowed for us to have a deeply engaging conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you very much, Zoe. Thank you for having me. Thank you for failing, for facilitating this podcast. Thank you so much to everybody who Thank is you. listening as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Faring Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube under Faring South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Faring IBD Health Diary app today. The Faring IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.